You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. And with me today, we have Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. Nathan's our executive editor. And we have Gary Phillips. How are we doing? We are doing well. Thank you for asking. Gary's our associate editor. So, guys, happy June. We're two months in. Bit of a roller coaster so far. Um, May has been, May was, I should say, incredible. Mm-hmm. April wasn't a great start. But here we are. We're getting healthy. We're getting into summer. It's a fun time to be watching Yankees baseball. What do you guys think? Well, yeah, I mean the uh, the team's overall record looks looks pretty pretty nice. I mean, even if we were at full health this entire season, uh, I'd be you know pretty happy with being nearly twenty games over five hundred. So uh, no no real complaints there. It's been a, a lot of fun watching this team, seeing all these sort of unsung heroes and and surprise performances. Uh, you know, kind of creep up out of nowhere and guys getting the job done day in day out it's been enjoyable and from our standpoint really proud of the work we've done so far with the magazines we've gotten a lot of great feedback uh from readers and the the june issue is no exception i'm really excited uh you know start the subway series on monday and uh we'll have a brand new issue of yankees magazine out on the shelves that day so nate you talk about the unsung heroes who have really stepped up this year And I kind of don't know where to put our cover subject in that conversation. On the one hand, Luke Voigt, spoiler alert, Luke Voigt's the cover of the June (laughs) issue. Um, You know, I got to back up for a second because I think it's so funny. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I posted something about a story that I was working on and, you know, on Twitter and just, you know, last time to catch this in May. And I don't know who this person is, but he keeps on asking me about the June cover. And it's like, hey, man, or woman, I don't know. You'll see. You'll see. And now it's finally time to say our June cover, obviously, is Luke Voigt. So if you would have said this a year ago, Luke Voigt would be a very unsung hero. And yeah. yet, where do you put... Like, you would have asked who Luke Voigt is. That's a fair ago. point. Yeah, I don't even think he'd be an unsung hero. I think he'd be just totally unsung. Yeah. In in June of last year, Luke Voigt was getting you know bounced up and down between the majors and the minors in a totally different organization. He was still a cardinal. It's amazing to think about how different his life is now, 12 months later, having just settled in to his new role as the Yankees' everyday first baseman and really taking the job and run with it. I mean, this is the the opportunity that he's been waiting for his entire life and working toward his entire life. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's pretty remarkable. He's been such a, a steady presence. And that's something that, you know, he really takes a lot of pride in is keeping himself in the best possible shape. He spends a lot of time in the gym and, you know, it's not just about being, you know, big and strong and powerful and hitting home runs, which he obviously does quite well, but also just staying healthy and staying out there on the field and being there for his teammates. So Nate, we'll get to your June cover story on Luke Voigt in a second, but Gary, you know, you watch a lot of these games. What do you see from Luke Voigt right now that, you know, is just out of line with, you know, maybe what your expectations could have been even after he was so good in the second half last year. But obviously if you go back to what you were expecting maybe in spring training and what you're seeing now, you know, 
how do those two things compare? I think one thing, and Nate touches on this in his story, is his defense has really improved tremendously. Does he still have some work to do? Of course, but it's so much better this season than it was a year ago, not even a year ago. And then the other thing, to borrow a phrase from Aaron Boone, is he does a great job of really controlling the strike zone. And what's impressed me the most about that is that he's done it without the protection of the Yankees' biggest boppers. You know, he's done this without Aaron Judge in the lineup, without Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup. And the fact that he's still producing the way that he is, the way that he was last year, I think it's so far beyond what anybody could have expected. And it's clear that he's still playing with a chip on his shoulder. I, I happen to totally agree with everything Gary said. You know, I, I wonder, because, you know, I've said this on previous podcasts and maybe I'm not supposed to and maybe I should apologize, but I didn't buy in at the end of last year. We've seen players have great you know, a couple months before. Uh, and I don't mean this as any kind of knock on Luke Voigt. I just, you know, I, I'm generally one who believes that players show themselves to be who they are and 29 teams aren't going to be wrong about a guy and one team is going to be right. How do you think he reacts to this idea that, you know, he's still defying expectations as opposed to simply doing what he expects himself to do? Yeah, well, I think that that's sort of the way he's, uh, That's that's been his mentality for a long time. I mean, he was not a guy who was, you know, a, a top draft pick out of high school. You know, I think that the Royals took him in like the 32nd round out of high school. So uh, he decided to go to college and, you know, he played four years at Missouri State. And, you know, after those four years, he still wasn't, you know, super highly regarded. So he's always kind of played with that in the back of his mind. Like, I know that I just need to outwork everybody. Whether it's sprints, working out, lifting weights, or whatever, like I, I always gave it my best at all times. And I think I don't think if I didn't work hard, I wouldn't be in the big leagues. And it's something I'll never change about myself. And um, it's you know I'll have that for the rest of my life. When I have kids, it's going to be like you know their biggest attribute because I always was a guy that never like wasn't the first rounder. I wasn't like a guy at the high school level. I wasn't the guy at the college level. But, you know, I always made sure I worked harder than everybody else. And you know, I think it helped me you know, transition to become a, 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 a big guy. For him, it's always been about, you know, I may not have the most pure talent. He's not going to, you know, roll out of bed and hit 300. But he's not going to let anybody outwork him. And that's obviously carried him pretty far away. You know, he was a... I believe 22nd rounder or 23rd rounder out of college uh, by the Cardinals, who was, you know, his kind of hometown team. He grew up in a, a suburb of St. Louis, a town called Wildwood. And, uh, you know, he things were progressing nicely for him. He was working his way up the minor league ladder. He was, you know, had some good seasons in the minors for the Cardinals, but they had an all-star at first base in Matt Carpenter, and he was kind of blocked there. So he continued to just sort of, put his head down, keep his nose to the grindstone and hope that all his hard work would one day pay off. I don't know that he necessarily thought that that was going to pay off in the form of a trade to another team, but that's what happened. And things like that are sort of out of your control as a baseball player. You know, it's a business. And when he he got the word, it was funny. He was telling me the story. He was out in Las Vegas with the Cardinals AAA team and they were, they were playing against the Mets AAA team out there. And he was originally in the lineup and then his manager, Stubby Clapp, took his name out of the lineup and his buddies were kind of like, oh, would you, you know, go out and stay out a little too late last night? They thought he was being punished or something. He's like, no, I'm fine. Um, and so he was, you know, hoping that maybe it was another call back up to the show. But 
Indeed it wasn't. It was a trade to the New York Yankees. And look, I mean, there, there's really not much you can complain about with the way he's he's handled himself here since since that trade. So, you know, just to give a little, you know, inside baseball, no pun intended, there are stories that we do because, you know, there's a story, a, a deep story that needs to be told about somebody. And there are stories that we do because a guy is performing well and we should write about him. In the off season, we happen to do a really good who is Luke Voigt story already that you know got into his background, his football, all the injuries and things like that. This was clearly, and I mean no knock to the way you approach this, this was clearly a, man, we have to write about Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt's doing awesome. What were you, you know, coming so quick on the heels of us having done a big who is Luke Voigt feature, what were you trying to do differently than what we did that time? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good question, John. Um, sometimes when you write a story like that, where we choose the subject based solely on the fact that like, hey, this guy's performing well. We haven't had him on the cover before. Let's do a story on Luke Voigt. It can be hard sometimes to come up with a, a fresh angle or even, you know, a headline or, or a cover, you know, the lines on the cover. But for some reason, this just, this whole story came very easily. And, and I don't know if I just got lucky or what, but like, you know, sometimes I'll sit there for days and you know, kind of be mulling over different headlines and, uh, you know, jotting down ideas and tweaking them and molding them. And like, this all just flowed right out. It came so quickly, like, you know, the cover, which I, I think people will enjoy. Like, it was one of those things where we showed it around. We actually had two covers that we were all like in love with. And, and believe me, that's rare. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. There was something about just him and his his personality, I, I think like, you know, whereas the stories about his sort of football background focused more on his, you know, his work ethic and his, his kind of, uh, you know, his dedication in the weight room and all that stuff. This is more just about a kid from Missouri who, you know, gets drafted by his hometown team. And all of a sudden that's sort of, you know, that, that dream is just like taken away from you. And all of a sudden your whole life and your whole career is sort of uprooted and you have a totally different trajectory. And how did he react to that? I mean, you see him out there. He plays with a smile on his face. I think, you know, he's he's really become uh, a fan favorite to a lot of people. And for good reason, you know, the, the way he plays, uh, the way he conducts himself out there. So I, I wanted to get into that, um, you know, just sort of shine a little more light on, you know, the type of person he is. And also, you know, as Gary brought up earlier, the defense, that was something that really struck me early on this season as far back as spring training uh you could see the difference and sure he's still not perfect out there there's there's better defensive first baseman around the league but he's made some pretty noticeable strides i felt like so kind of wanted to just dig into that a little bit find out how he got better you know what his approach was there you know spoke to the manager and the infield coach carlos mendoza and it's just what you would expect you know he just like I said, a, a guy who's never been that that high-rated top prospect, who's always had to work for everything he's gotten, uh, he's taken that same approach to his defense, and it's really shown up big time. You know, it was always I was always so worried about my hitting, and you know, in the off season this year, it was something I like as much as I hit, I did as much on defense too. But it's footwork, you know, agility stuff, hand-eye stuff, you know, balls, you know. 
anything baseball related. Like I just tried to make it, you know, as even as possible with my hitting and take, you know, like take as much pride in my hitting as I did in my defense to where I could like, you know, I don't want to say I could win a gold glove, but like, you know, it's like people respect me as defense. You know, one thing that you, I, I imagine, whether you're following the team or covering the team this year, one thing that you've learned is never to make an assumption that you have too many of anything. But obviously, you know, we are, if the next week goes right, we're going to start seeing a bottleneck of players. You know, that's a great problem. But, you know, at some point, you're going to realize that you can't get Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Didi Gregorius, Luke Voigt, DJ LeMayhew, G. Rochella, Gleyber Torres, Aaron Hicks. Clint Frazier, like these guys can't all be in the lineup at the same time. And I think that one thing that, you know, it's unfortunate that that, that we've seen in this year is that a lot of the calculus uh, in terms of our expectations has somewhat changed. I think if you would have asked anyone four months ago, you know, you had to extend DD right away. I think that to some degree, you know, I, I wonder if that's true right now. I wonder, you know, it's becoming harder to, in some ways, look at not just what the future of this team looks like next year, but I'm really wondering as we get to like August and September, what these lineups are going to look like. And that's a fantastic problem. But I imagine at some point, you know, Greg Bird is going to make a play. And is he a minor leaguer right now? Is he traded? Is he DFA'd? I mean, what what happens at this point, do you think, to this team? I think at this point, no, if he were healthy right now, he's... Triple A player and DJ LeMay, who's the guy you're going with as your backup first baseman on the days right. that you have to give Void a rest. I think you're right. It's just such a man. This is the theme of this season of the podcast, but you just can't predict this stuff. You, you, you can't, you know, make assumptions for who's going to be around and for what your team is going to look like at any given time. But the fact of the matter is, and not to repeat myself, you know, Voight proved me wrong. Voight, you know, I, I did not think that he had this kind of staying power. I thought. I don't want to say it's something as simple as, you know, the league would catch up to him. But, you know, I thought that he was a guy who swung for the moon. And when he connected, great things happened. But, man, like, just there's something about the intensity, but also kind of like the slightly high voice that he has and things like that. You know, he he has this thing where every time he walks to the clubhouse, I don't know if you guys notice this, he grabs five water bottles from the cooler. And I once went up to him and asked him, like, you know, is this a superstition? Like, something having to do with, like, you need five waters? He's like, no, I just really need to hydrate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I'm, you know, I'm having fun watching this guy who, you know, just every day it's just showing, like, oh, my God, you know, what what do we actually know about baseball players and who's good and who is, you know, right? You know, just one other thing I wanted to add to the story, and you talk about expectations and surprises. Nate alludes to this in the story he's mentioned a few times here. Another part of this that's so impressive is that his life has been completely changed. Not just his career, not just his playing time or the stardom. Like He has gone from hometown kid in Missouri to the bright lights of New York City, and Nate talks about in the story selling his pickup truck and getting adjusted to going over the bridge and restaurants in New Jersey and Broadway musicals. Right. And I think things that I think one of the things that fans don't always understand is the behind the scenes stuff, whether it's a trade or just joining a new organization as a free agent, like the stuff that happens off the field away from the stadium that has an impact on your performance. And the fact that he's been able to balance everything and perform at the level that he has just it really defies the odds yeah and and you know just look he's got that little hop after the home runs he's got the big bicep crushing you know 
um, Bash Brothers style. He's having fun. Forearm with uh, Phil Nevin after every home run. I mean, it's just, it's very easy to see, you know, fans stay in love with this guy if it keeps up. And look, I, I think I have to at some point stop saying if it keeps up because it's just, this is, this seems to be the hitter he is. He's definitely got a lot of personality, which, you know, people love to see. It's, it's, it's fun to latch on to a guy who, you know, shows his emotions. You know, why do you think Paul O'Neill is so beloved here? It's not just the fact that he was a great ball player, but he, he, you know, exuded a lot of what the fans feel when they're, they're watching these games. So Luke is not one to hide his emotions, whether he's, you know, ticked off after a ground out or, you know, he's wrapping up a teammate after a win. Um, Some of those up and in pitches that he, uh, yeah, doesn't really appreciate. Yeah. Um, so he's he's a fun player to watch. He's a fun guy to talk to. I mean, we spent, you know, probably, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes in the dugout uh, talking for this story. And, like, he's just, like, I don't know. He's got funny little lines. And not that he's trying to be funny. It's just who he is. You know, he doesn't – he's not trying to be anything he's not. You're going to have to follow up on the Jet stuff after yeah. the re- after the recent <laughs> decisions that they've made. I'm not sure he wants to be a fan of that. Yeah, speaking Luke, from experience, Luke, Luke's a big football fan, but he kind of had his heart ripped out by the St. Louis Rams when they left town. So he's he's kind of a free agent right now. He still watches a lot of football, and uh, you know, New York is quickly becoming you know a real big part of his his heart. So he's thinking about latching on to one of the local teams here we'll we'll see for his sake i hope he invests instead in the this direct tv package and watches uh, one of the other 30 teams so the story is the powers that be is the cover story of our june issue you can pick it up starting along with up to the moment monday at the stadium with the news with mets and it'll be available all month and we'll be back today quick break we'll come back we're going to talk to the guy on the other side of the yankee spectrum guy who came over with the highest of expectations who has delivered over the past decade plus and who just reached a pretty awesome milestone so stick with us hi this is aaron judge you're listening to the yankees magazine podcast So welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. We just talked a little bit about Luke Voigt, who came out of nowhere. You know, we've already discussed plenty in this podcast over the past few years about where CeCe Sabathia came out of. But while he may have come out of a difficult circumstance as a person, obviously by the time the Yankees got him, he was very much a known quantity. He's in his last year now and pitching effectively and also taking off a few milestones on the way. So Gary, you had a chance to write about one of the biggest starts of the season for the Yankees, the one in which CeCe Sabathia recorded his 3,000th strikeout. So, you know, obviously, in, a, in some senses, that story writes itself. But in another sense, in another sense, what were you trying to do to capture both that moment and also the perspective on the moment? Well, obviously, 3,000 strikeouts is one of the biggest milestones that a pitcher can achieve. You now, CeCe is now the 17th member of that club. He's only the third left-hander. So that kind of speaks to just how rare an accomplishment it is. But I wanted to really explore how he got there. One, because 
everybody that was at that game, and I wasn't at that game, anybody watching can write about that night. And also because we were going to have a magazine that was going to come out a month later, so I wanted it to be fresh and new and something different. So I really wanted to explore how he reached this moment, particularly looking at the struggles that he had from 2013 to 2015 and how he came out of that a different pitcher and how kind of reinventing himself, becoming this completely new style of pitcher allowed him to get to 3,000. It allowed him to pitch all these seasons. It's going to let him get to 250 wins and the Hall of Fame. So obviously the interesting thing about, you know, career long records is that you can't reach them without making adjustments. Like you can't be a young pitcher getting to 3000 strikeouts, obviously. So I have a sense that, you know, you mentioned that he's the 17th member. I have to think all 17 of those pitchers made some adjustments along the way to get that and changed as pitchers. What do you think was different about CC? I think what's different about CC is just how much he really struggled from 2013 to 2015. Uh, I mean, the numbers were not good. The contract, the second contract looked like it was going to be a really big mistake. Um, he just, he was not effective not to be completely blunt about it. And you started to wonder when is he going to figure it out? When is he going to adjust? And he admits in the story that there were times when he was banging his head against the wall because he didn't know if he was, it was going to pay off. He was trying to make changes, but he wasn't seeing results. And he was wondering, is it worth buying into this? Is it worth just trying to throw 91-92 and get away with it? And obviously that wasn't the answer either. So one of the things he preached was patience. Um, Andy Pettit, who's been a mentor to him in retirement because his career kind of took the same turn, he preached the same thing. He said that CC had to fail for him to get to this point. Gary, one of the things that I, uh, I I like that you did in this piece is the fact that CC's still in the middle of a season. He's trying to pitch effectively every fifth day. So, you know, he wasn't necessarily going to be super... He was know, not introspective. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, you kind of uh, ran with that and by speaking to a lot of different people who do have a lot of thoughts about CC Sabathia's career and the way he sort of reinvented himself. Um, particularly, I, I thought what was really interesting was you spoke to the batter uh, who he's faced more than anybody else in his career, Adam Jones, who, who was with the Diamondbacks that night when he recorded 3,000. And I thought Jones had some really interesting things to say. Yeah, and there was a lot that I didn't get to include in the story, but one of the things that I did include was him saying how CC is a tougher at bat now than he was when he was throwing high 90s gas. Now, Jones said, you knew it was coming. It was tough to hit, but you knew. And he said the way CC pitches now, mixing up his pitches, seeking contact, moving the ball all over the plate, the way he pitches now, it's more like chess. You've kind of heard CC talk about that a little bit over the years where he is much more a pitcher now than th there's that old saying, pitch the ball, don't throw the ball. And that's what he's doing now. That's what he's done the last few years. And it's such a stark contrast from what he was when he was with Cleveland and Milwaukee in his early Yankees years. It calls to mind something Neil Walker, when he was on the team last year, told me for the story I did on CeCe last year, which is you know his memory of CeCe, even in the later portion of his career, was in an at-bat, you were going to get one pitch to hit, and you had to know which one it was going to be, because everything else was, it, it just, you weren't going to be able to do anything with it. You had to identify that one pitch 
that he was going to throw you that you could hit and you had to be ready for it. And obviously, look, you know, I, I, I agree with Nate. I loved that Adam Jones section in there. I love that you got John Ryan Murphy on the phone. I love that you, you know, really spoke to a lot of people from CeCe's life who are still on the field. You think of perspective and you think of, you know, those other 16 guys or whatever, but I liked the perspective of his contemporaries who are really talking about just who he is, the way he's changed and the way he in some ways maybe it's better, but also it's just so different now. Yeah. You know, somebody else that I talked to for this was Brian McCann who caught him when he was struggling. And one of the reasons I wanted to get McCann is because he's caught another member of the 3000 strikeout club, John Smoltz, who is another guy that really had to reinvent his career multiple times. Now being a starter, being a closer, being a starter again. So I I thought it was really cool hearing from these different guys about now, their firsthand experience is witnessing CeCe struggle, witnessing him change, witnessing him battle through that adapt- those adaptations over the years, and then also getting their perspective on the guy he is now and how he's come out so successful on the end of what was a really tough part of his career. So, Gary, uh, like you said, you know, we weren't there in Arizona that night when he got to 3,000, but uh, you did include some kind of scene work here and, and spoke to some of the players who were there that night. From your perspective, you know, what, do you, what did you think of just the, the overall sort of people's reactions in the ballpark that night in Arizona? And what do you think that kind of said about CeCe Sabathia? Starting with him, first of all, I thought it was hysterical that the calls from the umpires, you know, the check swing, the getting squeezed on another sh- um, should have been strike. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny that those elicited bigger reactions from him than the actual strikeout itself. I, I think yeah. that really speaks to uh, CeCe's personal brand there. Mm-hmm. But I-, I thought it was really cool seeing all the Yankees obviously waiting in front of the dugout ready to congratulate him. I think he was kind of ready to just go grab his bat and his helmet because he had to lead off the next inning, but they made sure that he stopped and appreciated the moment. I thought it was really cool seeing his family and his kids run down there and be a part of that. I think it's great that they got to share that with him, especially after maybe it took a few starts longer than they were expecting. They had to do a little bit of traveling, a little bit of missing school. So it was really cool that they got to all enjoy that together. And then also um, Murphy mentioned that he offered to sign the ball for CC and you know he was it's, it's kind of funny you don't expect a guy that's part of the on the negative side of a milestone you don't expect him to want to be so eager to be a part of it so I thought that was a fun little detail of the moment you know so so this weekend CC is back in Cleveland obviously where things started it's probably his last time there um, depending on what might happen with the postseason or who knows the all-star game you know and he and he's going for 250 in his start in Cleveland and you know, so I wrote about CC for a big feature last year where, you know, I thought there was a good chance it was maybe his last season or maybe his last season with the Yankees. And, you know, I ended up writing more about where he came from than where he was ending. But, you know, as you were doing this 3000 story, I'm also writing right now about CC. And, you know, now that he said it's the end, kind of trying to track actually how it's ending. And I found a lot of the same things you have, which is he's so honest. And he's so easy to talk to and he's such a good dude, but man, is he not introspective right now. And, you know, I remember, you know, asking him, for example, when he was missing opening day because he was injured or suspended, whatever you want to call it at the time, you know, man, was that crazy? You know, your last opening day. And he's like, nah, 
And then, you know, first game back, was that crazy? You know, it's your last season, sorry? Nah. Uh, all, all these things, um, you know, a walk-off win that he started, you know, is that different? You know, obviously you were long out of the game, but is it different because you started and you don't know how many of these you have left? Nah. And, you know, it, it's part of his charm. He's not, I, I said this in my story about him, he's just not a precious guy. He doesn't, you know, pretend to, you know, do anything that isn't real in his mind. But, you know, I think I'm kind of going through a lot of the same stuff you did, which is, hey, man, just please please tell me what's on your mind right now. I, I think, you know, Nate talked about me going and getting all these people from his career, from his past. I think I really didn't have a choice because <laughs> he, he really just had no interest in reflecting. The only thing I could really get him give a good quote on or a, a deep thought on was the fact that he's the third black pitcher in the 3000 strikeout club. But you now CC, what did it mean to, at 3,000 strikeouts. Eh, no big deal. I don't even know where the ball is. CeCe, <laughs> do, do you think you're a Hall of Famer? Everybody's saying you're a Hall of Famer. That's eh, not for me to decide. I, I mean, it was... And, and he answered every question. You know, I'm, I'm not saying he was standoffish or anything like that, but he, he really is at least publicly facing, committed to this idea of, I got to start in five days. You know, we got to win a championship. That's all I'm focused on. It's not about me. I just got 3,000, but I literally have to bat right now. No. <laughs> right. There's a lot of projects he's working on right now beyond obviously just pitching with us. You know, there's, he's got camera crews following him. He's got writers following him. Yeah. I'm sure that I think the post retirement CC is going to be a interesting cat to read about because I think he's going to let loose on all the things. uh, You know, on the one, he's never been afraid to speak his mind about, you know, causes and things that are important to him. That's for sure. I don't want to act as though he doesn't, you know, say anything or that he is in any way dishonest, but I think there will be an introspective CC that we get at some point in the next couple of years. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. I hope fans get that introspective CC on this season though, because I think he does have thoughts on it and he does have things he wants to say. He just doesn't want to be the center of attention while they're all working toward that goal of a world series championship. But I think fans will really appreciate the opportunity to hear his thoughts on all these final moments and big milestones that, you know, it would be a shame if they didn't get to. Gary, going back for a sec, you said he was willing to kind of expand a little bit uh, about becoming just the third black pitcher to uh, to reach 3,000 strikeouts. Uh, why was that so particularly meaningful to him, do you think? I think he's really aware of the fact that, you know, demographically speaking, baseball is not a huge game among African Americans right now, especially at the major league level. He, he talked about a young black kid being able to see that performance, see that milestone and possibly being inspired. And I think that's something that is definitely in his mind that he is the role model for that particular subset of the community. And I think it's something that he's always really been reflective of and aware of the fact that, you know, he wore the 21 black aces cleats uh, last year it's something that definitely has a spot in his mind. Yeah, I mean, that's how, uh, you know, it started for him watching Dave Stewart. That was his role model. And, you know, it's it's cool to think about the same thing. Happen- you know, some little eight-year-old kid or 10-year-old kid watching, seeing CeCe Sabathia reach 3,000 strikeouts this year in a Yankees uniform and, you know, dreaming big after that. And look, I mean, it's draft week. So yeah, it's a good time for dreaming, I guess. Yep. So, Gary, the story is CC3K. Like you said, you weren't out in Arizona. It was a tight term, but, man, that's a fun story you wrote. Nice job. Great perspective. It is online today. 
already so you can check it out and obviously just like everything else come by the stadium anytime in june check it out there go to yankees.com slash magazine where you can read all of our long form content we'll be back with you in two weeks with another episode in the meantime please rate review subscribe to our podcast tell everyone you know to rate review and subscribe to our podcast the mlb ball tweet about us we'll put us on instagram whatever you want to do we're, we're, we're here for you Bye follow us on twitter at yanks magazine special check in offers podcast at yankees.com content and much and we'll more speak to you in a bit but download so much for listening ballpark and app for today by visiting yankees.com backslash ballpark app hi this is adam adovino for more stories like these Subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.